You're listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. For more information about our church, visit our website at redrocksbaptist.org or follow us on Instagram at Red Rocks Baptist. Charles Feeney might not be a name that you recognize, but he was a man who lived the American dream. He died this past October, and his story is really quite incredible. He grew up in New Jersey in a Catholic working-class family. Both parents were hard workers and learned to scrape by at times growing up. Their family struggled to afford the $32 a month mortgage payment. And he grew up in these challenging circumstances. He had a stint in the Air Force after World War II. And as a young man, after graduating from business school, started his own retail company, which soon grew into an international enterprise. In fact, his business uh, was all over the world. And by the age of 50, he was not a millionaire, but a billionaire with a B. He had mansions flung all over the world. I think the article said he had seven of them, one of them here in Aspen, actually. And yet, at the top of his game, you could say, the pinnacle of his wealth, he started to grow disenchanted with the lifestyle of opulence. In fact, he later wrote that he reached the conclusion that money, buying boats, and all the trimmings didn't appeal to me. And he wasn't one of these people that you, you know, you read about on the news or you, you watch on TV and they say, I just, I'm so dissatisfied with my wealth. And then they get back on their private jet and they go to their private island and they don't do anything about it. This man, Charles Feeney, started to give and give and give. He wore a $10 wristwatch, got rid of his homes, gave away nearly all his wealth during his lifetime anonymously. That totaled about $8 billion that he gave away to various causes. And as I mentioned, he died in October of this year. And this is really the quintessential American dream, isn't it? A normal kid from a, from a regular family achieves great success through hard work and determination. And then uses this hard work to benefit others by being a philanthropist. And the American dream has benefited millions of people. My grandparents on my mother's side were first-generation Americans from Italy and Armenia. They lived the American dream. Many of us are here because we are are recipients of the wealth and the generosity of the people that have gone before us. The American dream promotes freedom and hard work and treating people respectfully, which is not true of many other places in the world. And yet, within this American dream, there's a danger for believers. And the danger is this, that the American dream can subtly shift into the American idol. That the culture we live in would start determining the values that we hold. Instead of setting our affections on things above, we start aiming for things below. And perhaps some of us here struggle with this pull Perhaps some of us have even made the American dream our God. To some, the American dream is the treasure of their life rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we're going to to talk about treasuring Christ this year and treasuring Jesus above everything else, then, then we have to acknowledge the cultural waters that we swim in. We have to understand and confront head on 
the fact that the American dream calls us to treasure these things below. And this message has been on my heart actually for several months. Just in spending time just praying about when the best time to preach this would be. You know, Christmas kind of gives us an illustration of the American dream. Instead of celebrating the birth of Christ, it's really all about commercialism and shopping and events and social gatherings. And I simply just want to plead with you today to treasure Christ more than the stuff around us, to treasure Christ more than the American dream. Now, you probably understand that the Bible never uses the words American dream. The word America isn't in the Bible, believe it or not. But the truths of Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26 apply to our situation today actually in very striking ways, kind of in a spooky way, to be honest. And this passage is about Moses. Let's look at it together. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. This passage is about Moses, who lived centuries, about 1,500 years before Christ, give or take. Yet he is our example of treasuring Christ, Well, how is that? Are we just reading this into it? Well, the text says that he treasured Christ in verse 26, esteeming Christ greater riches. But it wasn't just the Christ or the Messiah, the promised one that he looked forward to. He was willing to suffer for it. The author says in verse 25 that he identified with God's people, even suffering for that. Verse 26 says that he was willing to bear the insult and the disgrace and the reproach for the name of Christ. He didn't know who the Messiah would be, but he believed that God's promises were true. And he was more committed to following the will of God by remaining faithful to the cause of God and the people of God than he was to the attractions of the world around him. And the attractions, as we'll see, were plentiful. And really, the end of verse 26 gives us his mindset because this is found in Hebrews 11. This is the hall of faith. This is how... Normal people in the past, we call them heroes, but they were normal people with flesh and blood like us, how they lived life in a manner that pleased God. And what did Moses do? Verse 26 says, for he looked to the reward. Moses' aim was to look in faith to God's promise of eternal glory rather than Egyptian offers of earthly prosperity. The message of this text is actually fairly simple. By faith, Moses treasured Christ because he correctly considered Jesus to be more valuable than earthly things. And that's where we're going today. Do you have the same eyes of faith, the same conviction in your heart that Jesus is more valuable than earthly things? This is my prayer today, that you would treasure Christ above the best that this world can offer because you've seen that Jesus is actually more valuable. There are three things that Moses chose to give up because he treasured Christ. The first of these is found in verse 24. 
the text says, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And that last phrase, refused to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, meant that, that Moses treasured Christ more than his privilege. Some backstory is needed here. Moses was born a Hebrew slave. And yet at this time in, in Egyptian history, the Israelites were growing more and more rapidly. They were beginning to threaten Pharaoh, and, and he was wondering if they would even up, uh, have a rebellion and uprising against him. And so he made a, a heinous order to kill all the baby boys of the nation of, of Israel. And Moses' parents, who actually are mentioned here in Hebrews 11, Moses' parents hid him for three months, but then when they couldn't hide him any longer, they didn't want to, to murder their child. So they put him by faith in a basket, put him out on the Nile River. Perhaps in the bulrushes as kind of a hiding place when there were sweeps going through. Perhaps just saying, Lord, he's yours. I, I'm not sure. And by stroke of luck, <laughs> in the Lord's providence, Pharaoh's daughter comes down to the river to bathe and she finds the baby boy. And instead of turning the baby boy in, she knows that it's a Hebrew child. She adopts him instead and calls him Moses because I took him out of the water. And so Moses was Hebrew by birth and, and ethnicity by nationality. And yet he was Egyptian by upraising. He was Egyptian royalty. Think of all the privileges Moses would have had growing up in the palace. Because ancient Egypt was not like America where we, we really have kind of like lower class, middle class, and then this little small upper class. But everybody has freedom and everybody can do what they'd like to do. No, no, no. There were slaves, there were Egyptians, and then there was royalty and the priestly class. Think of the status and the position that Moses would have had as being part of that royal household. Think of the fame and recognition since Egypt was one of the great powers of the world at that time. Think of the power and respect that he would have commanded simply because he was part of the royal household. And the wonderful thing about the American dream is that it offers to everyone the opportunity for success, not just to the elite few. But even within that opportunity is a danger, right? Fame is just a viral moment away. Anyone can have their 15 minutes in the limelight. The American dream gives upward mobility. You can dream about your future because you're not stuck as a slave or stuck in a social position. You can pursue your ambitions for the future. Status and position, the world thinks, is within your grasp. If you just work hard enough or, or slog away at it long enough, you can move up the ladder and get that corner office. And when you get to the top, then the power and the respect comes with it. And that's what people live for. The problem to be clear, the problem is not with, with influence or power themselves. God elevates people into positions of influence. Many faithful Christians use their platform to glorify God, both in the scriptural time and in today. We could give example after example of that. The problem, though, is when the pursuit of these privileges or the enjoyment of these privileges takes precedence over faithfulness to Christ. We ought to use our privilege for the glory of Christ and leverage it, but never sacrifice Jesus. Never sacrifice our identification with him to pursue the next promotion. Moses had all these things. He had them in hand. He was given these things. He didn't have to work for them. He just had them. 
And he willingly gave them up. He refused. He totally rejected being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He rejected the privileges of the royal household, choosing instead to be identified with God's people, even if that meant suffering. Why? Because he believed that the cause of God was greater than all the benefits and the pleasures, as we'll see in a moment, that Egypt could provide. And and so this really just is very simple. Choose Jesus over social privileges. Treasure him more than the things that you can gain in society. And if the pursuit or possession of privileges costs you Jesus, it's not worth it. Being faithful to Jesus may cost you social standing or your job or a chance to move up in life, but at the end of the day, what's more valuable? Getting a promotion? Having a little bit of fame? We're worshiping the God of the universe. You know, the Apostle Paul illustrates this. He had every privilege imaginable in his Jewish culture at the time. He was Jewish by birth, could trace his lineage, but he also had Roman citizenship. That was a, that was a neat little weapon he had, neat little thing tucked into his back pocket. But he wasn't just dual citizen, if we can call it that. He was educated in Jerusalem at, at the most esteemed places. He sat under the feet of the leading rabbi at the time. He studied, we would say, in the best of higher education. He was flawless in his desire to walk with the law and to obey the law. He was blameless, he says in Philippians 3, as touching the law. Concerning his zeal, he wasn't just going through the motions. He was so zealous he persecuted the church. The apostle Paul was the guy in ancient Judaism. He had it all. And yet, what does he say in Philippians chapter 3? But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but rubbish that I may gain Christ. And that word rubbish is kind of sanitized. It, It actually means excrement. He is willing to take all of his social advantages, being a Pharisee, being educated well, his Roman citizenship, and consider it refuse because he wanted to gain Jesus. Because Jesus was so much more valuable to him than all those other things. Paul enthusiastically gave up the best privileges the world could offer in exchange for Christ. Because gaining Jesus is better than a few Instagram followers or a title on your desk or a short promotion down the hall. Jesus is worth it. And and, and the difference of, of our perspective has to be don't focus on what you lose here on this world. You have to focus on what you're gaining in the next. The world will never understand why Christians are willing to give up these things for Jesus. They will never get it. Because to them, it doesn't make sense. Why would you give up something that they consider of extreme value for this guy named Jesus? But we would reverse that equation. We would say, of course we'll give up these things that you offer to gain someone so valuable, and his name is Jesus. Imagine how Moses' family and friends would have talked about him. Remember Moses? Oh, yeah, 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 that guy that that we rescued out of slavery, that loser that grew up here in the palace and then decided he'd actually go back to slavery, and then he fled because he murdered one of us? Yeah, I remember him. What an ungrateful, distasteful boy. He had such a bright future. 
He threw it all away. For what? But Moses didn't view it that way. He didn't throw it all away. He gained something infinitely better. Giving up our privilege, our status, our power, our fame, our ambition to follow Christ is not throwing your life away. It's actually investing it in the Lord Jesus. And his return is far greater than anything this world can offer. And so you have to ask yourself, do I value Jesus more than my career, more than my status, more than my title, more than acceptance by my peers, more than career advancement and recognition? Do I treasure Jesus so much that I'm willing to surrender my ambitions and dreams for the future and place them at his feet? Treasure Jesus more than privilege. Well, what else did Moses choose to treasure Christ more than? Verse 25 says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses treasured Christ more than pleasure. And at the end of this verse, it says he resisted enjoying sinful pleasures. And that word passing, maybe in your translation, it says something like fleeting or transient It communicates a short amount of time with the emphasis being on the the fleeting nature of the event. I like to think of that like cotton candy. You take one bite and it's gone. That's the idea. The King James Version uses the famous phrase, the pleasures of sin for a season. That's a great That's a great example, a great picture of it, because the Bible is not denying that sin is pleasurable. It is. It offers a semblance of pleasure. If there was no pleasure to be found in sin, it wouldn't be attractive. But sin provides a little bit of pleasure for a very short amount of time. And what Moses did is said, I don't want that short pleasure, that transient pleasure, that earthly pleasure. I want something greater. Well, what sinful pleasures would Moses have had available to him? I mean, I think the better question is, what would he not have had available to him? He had power and entertainment and food and sex and privilege. I mean, there's so many other things that he could have had if he wanted as royalty. And yet he resisted the temporary pleasure of sin for the eternal pleasure of following God. He followed Joseph's example. Centuries later, he lived Matthew 5, 8 before Jesus spoke the words 1,500 years later. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yet, not only did Moses resist the passing pleasures of sin, the first half of the verse verse is kind of of confusing and crazy all at the same time. He, He gave up pleasure and and didn't just say, well, I'm just going to live here comfortably and kind of have my nest egg and, and have my stuff and live with my hobbies and, and hang out with my friends, but I'm not going to enjoy the sinful things. Moses was so committed to Christ that he was willing to suffer affliction for him. He even surrendered his comfort to suffer affliction with the people of God. He correctly believed that suffering for Christ is more satisfying than any comfort pursued outside the will of God. Millions of Americans live each day in pursuit of sinful pleasure. 
They worship their passions. They seek enjoyment above everything else. I, I've got a long list of things that I could explore with you here about the things that Americans find pleasure in, but honestly, I don't even know if I need to go into that. Substances. I mean, how many people love to use drugs and alcohol? Sex. Uh, 12% of Americans visit a porn site. Immorality is just part of young adulthood, especially. Entertainment and streaming. Travel. Uh, gambling has become legalized, and, and the revenues are just, just going through the roof. Even eating. Americans have this unhealthy relationship to food between obesity on the one side and, and eating disorders on the other. There's something I found this week called retail therapy. That's shopping to make yourself feel better. I don't understand that at all, truthfully. It's a necessary evil to me. But some of the other things about, about finding pleasure in recreation, frankly, if Denver were a pagan city, and we kind of are, the local deity here is recreation. With all the mountain activity going on and the things that we can do, people live for their play. There's a phrase, work hard, play hard. They work, they, they work to earn enough money to then pursue their fun. Needless to say, Americans love pleasure. So how can we follow Moses' example and treasure Christ more than these things? To treasure Christ more than pleasure. Well, I mean, first and obvious, if it's a sinful pleasure, it has no place in the Christian life, so give it up. Immorality is sin. Drunkenness is sin. Gluttony is sin. Abusing your body is sin. No Christian should participate in these things. Full stop. If it's sinful pleasure, give it up. And if you're struggling with one of these things, if you say, I wish I could give it up, but it, it's, it's got a grip on me that I feel like I can't shake. The power of the gospel is such that Jesus breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says that we are washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. The power of the gospel can rescue you from your addiction. And Moses shows us the power of our treasure because the best way to fight sinful pleasure is not by trying to hold out in our own strength. It's actually to fight it with a greater pleasure, the more lasting, satisfying pleasure of knowing Christ and following him. Give up the fleeting, transient pleasures of sin because no sin can match what Jesus offers, Psalm 1611, at in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. When you come to treasure Jesus and taste of his goodness and, and are satisfied by him, then sin loses its appeal. And so a sin pursuit, a sin problem is actually a glory issue. It's a worship issue. You are not worshiping and knowing Christ to be the all-satisfying Savior that he is. He is far more satisfying than any sinful pleasure can be. So give up sinful pleasures. But, but what about those things that aren't necessarily sinful? I mean, is it a sin to go on vacation? Is it a sin to enjoy a hike in the mountains? No. These things are gifts from God that we can use for his glory. The danger, though, is that we can allow something good to become a God. Don't allow good things to become your God. The problem here comes 
when we make pleasure our treasure. What do you work for and dream about? What's the schedule of your week pointed toward? Is it that, is it that vacation out once a month up in the mountains? Is it the hobby that you do every Saturday afternoon? What do you pour your energy and your time in? Are you living for pleasure? Is the greatest sense of accomplishment in the week, whether you got to go to that show or enjoy that activity? Do you define your life by your pursuits? And the, this is hard to hear, but the fact of the matter is when you, when you live for pleasure, you're actually guilty of idolatry. God said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And if you take your pleasure and you worship it and you plan for it and you love it and you give it your time and your best energy and your attention, that's what we would simply say is worship. And God said, you shall not worship any false gods. When we treasure Christ above everything else, though, all of a sudden, all of the gifts of God fall into their rightful place. We can enjoy things as his gift that he has given to us. Instead of trying to extract out of them what they were never designed to give. So don't allow good things to become God's. Refuse, finally, to worship your comfort. That's convicting, isn't it? We think that comfort is a right and ease is a way of life. That if my comfort is threatened, don't get in my way. I mean, for crying out loud, the chairs we sit in are called lazy boys. If comfort is your God, you will be a poor follower of Jesus. Because Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. If you would follow me, you must take up your cross and deny yourself. If you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, the apostle writes, you will suffer persecution. Are you willing to give up your comfort? your ease for the sake of Christ? Yet when Jesus is your treasure, every sacrifice is worth it. And this really leads into this this final point in verse 26. Because how, how do we have comfort? It's really because of our wealth. And this verse is calling us to treasure Christ more than our money. Verse 26 says, esteeming, Moses did, considering or counting the reproach of Christ to be a greater riches, to be greater treasure than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. What's the author saying here? I think we could summarize it this way. Moses believed that suffering reproach with its disgrace and insults for the sake of Christ was a greater source of wealth than all the lucrative treasures in Egypt. Moses treasured Christ more than material wealth. And we know how wealthy ancient Egypt was, even today, because we found some of the tombs of the pharaohs. And you know what is in them when they're, they're untouched? Vast, unfathomable amounts of wealth. Think of King Tut. He's probably the most famous Uh, the most famous tomb that's been found. I actually talked about him several months ago here. Uh, He lived about 100 years after Moses, and the value of his tomb is into the hundreds of millions and even into the billions of dollars worth of goods. Gold and artifacts and, and, and 
all of these things. And that gives you just a, a picture of the wealth that Moses had before him. And as part of the royal family, he had access to incredible riches and possessions. He also could enjoy the benefits of riches, which is luxury and ease and comfort. Yet, he walked away from this affluence. That's really what the word is, affluence. Not just money, but a lifestyle that's used to money and providing for my own comfort, affluence. He walked away from it because he considered Jesus to be worth more, a greater treasure. Jesus was so valuable that he would even suffer for Jesus and it was still worth it. The American dream has enriched millions of people. We possess a level of wealth and luxury that previous generations have not known and frankly that most of the world does not have access to. There are still people without running water and electricity or sewage taken care of. You can go to places in the world where they're living in abject poverty. And we should work to raise people out of poverty. But where do we cross the line? Is money the problem? No, I'll say that in a moment. Money is not the issue. It's the love of money. It's the pursuit of money. It's the use of money to spend on our frivolous and selfish desires. That's the problem. If you make $40,000 as a single person, you are in the top 3% of the world's wealth. Now, I understand inflation has affected many of us, but we're still really wealthy. Does anyone wonder where their next meal is going to come from? Do you work each day, like 12 to 14 hours a day, just to make sure your family can eat tomorrow? Have you ever built your own hut out of mud and sticks and wood and, and had dirt floors and it's about you know, 10 feet around just to live in something? We are so wealthy. And we have so many possessions. How many changes of clothes are in your closet? How many shoes do you have? How many tools hang on your shed wall? How many cooking utensils are in your kitchen drawers? How many books are on your shelves? And then, and then, if that weren't enough, then we Americans, we go and rent a storage unit for all the stuff that we can't fit into our house. And we store all of our seasonal stuff and all of our big stuff and all of our extra stuff and, and we go and visit our stuff and then we take our stuff and we use it but, but we can't get rid of it because it's our stuff. You see how ridiculous this is? Again, is the problem our stuff? No, God gives us things richly to enjoy, but how much of that is spent on our pleasures, on our lusts, on our desires? How much of it is frivolous? How much can we go without? Moses had the ancient equivalent of this and probably much more than most of us, and yet he walked away from it all. He gave it up. Not because he said, I'm gonna go be a Spartan, or I'm going to go retreat into a monastery somewhere. He gave it up because he was exchanging his feeble treasure for a greater treasure. He pursued what was real and lasting. And that's the same thing that we must do. Pursue Jesus, not wealth. Would you give up wealth and possessions if Jesus asked you to? 
And I read somewhere once that if you answer that question with, well, good thing he doesn't, doesn't ask me to do that, then you're the type of person who would say no to that. If faced with the choice of surrendering most of your financial assets and Jesus, what would you choose? No, seriously, what would you choose? This was the decision several people in Jesus' day had. I think of the rich young ruler. The man wanted to gain eternal life. And so he comes running to Jesus and, and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. And he says, all this I've kept from my youth, which is a little bit naive at best there to say that I've obeyed the law perfectly. And Mark's gospel says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And Jesus says, one thing you lack, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. Was Jesus advocating a, a, a works-based salvation where to be saved we have to get rid of our stuff and live as, as you know, people with nothing? No, what's he doing? He's putting his finger, his divine, all-knowing finger on the idols of the man's heart. He's asking the man to treasure Jesus more than his stuff because he says, sell all that you have and come follow me. And what does the man do? The joy dies. The smile on his face goes away. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Luke's gospel says he went away sad because he was rich. The man chose his money over Jesus. There's a contrast, though, with the disciples. In Luke chapter 5, Peter, James, John, and Andrew are fishing together. They were fishing partners and Jesus comes to them. They were fishing all night and they found nothing. And that's pretty depressing. You work all night, you have nothing to show for it. Jesus teaches and then he gets in the boat and he says, let's go out and let's cast again. And I can imagine these guys, they're like, well, we're the fishermen here. You're the carpenter. This is kind of our turf. But they don't say that, at least out loud. They say, all right, at your word, we'll do that. They, they take a step of faith. And they, they, they row out or sail out into the middle of the lake and they drop the fish over, and they have the catch of their life. It's so big that both boats are struggling to get back to shore. They have hit it rich. And then Jesus looks at them and says, from now on you'll be fishers of men, follow me. And these four men, with the biggest financial gain they could have ever hoped for, Leave it all behind to follow him. Which do you think? The rich young ruler or the disciples? Who do you think is regretting their decision today? Two different responses from financial prosperity. Two different outcomes. Why did the disciples leave all to follow Jesus? Because they believed Jesus to be a greater gain than all the money in the world. Can you honestly say that treasuring Jesus to you is more valuable than the number in your bank account or the number in your investment portfolio? More than getting that dream house or driving the expensive car? Does money have your heart or does Jesus? But what about money? We all have it. We all need it. We have to use it to live. So with the money we have, 
we ought to treasure Jesus with our treasures. Because if Jesus has our hearts, then we will use our earthly treasures to further his cause. You actually demonstrate what the treasure of your heart is by how you spend your money. There are several other ways you do it, by how you spend your time, by what you talk about. But how you spend your money demonstrates what you really treasure in your heart. Jesus told a parable in Luke 12 that applies here. There was a man that had a bumper crop. And he says, what should I do? And he decides to pull down his barns and build bigger ones. He wanted to do this, his reasoning was, to ensure many years of material comfort and ease. Hey, if I do this, I'll have enough for the rest of my life. I'm set. I don't have to work again. What was God's view of this decision? God says, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you've prepared, whose will they be? Was he a fool for investing in the future? Should we all you know, empty our 401ks and not invest in the future and stuff cash into our mattresses? No, that's not what Jesus is saying. There are other principles in Scripture about stewarding our money wisely. What he is condemning here is that this man was a fool because he used his material wealth to benefit himself and himself only. Verse 21 says, he was a fool because he laid up treasure for himself and was not rich toward God. How many of us would God say, you're you're not rich toward me? John Piper sums up the parable in this way, quote, fool is what God calls a person who uses his excess money to increase his own comforts. He goes on to say, the evidence that many of our people are not rich toward God is how little they give and how much they own. The problem is not with earning a lot. The problem is the constant accumulation of luxuries that are soon felt to be need. If you want to be a conduit for God's grace, you don't have to be lined with gold. Copper will do. Do you need to reorient your financial priorities? Are you using your money and possessions to justify luxury and comfort and opulence and ease rather than investing into the kingdom of God? Are you willing to treasure Jesus with your treasures? So how do we do this? How how do we make the decision, well, you know, do I go on vacation this year or do I give it all to missionaries? Because there's always more need. The Bible teaches us wisdom. The Bible teaches us stewardship. The Bible tells us that we're humans. We need need breaks. We need refreshment. And we can enjoy these things as a gift from God. The way to evaluate is to appraise our money, our treasures, on an eternal scale. As 1 Timothy makes 6, the problem is not with money but the love of it. The love of money is this invasive root that sinks down deep and grips our hearts so tightly choking out the love of God and the love of his people and the love of the gospel. And only when we appraise material things on an eternal scale can we uproot the powerful love of money. That's how Moses did it. The end of verse 26 says, for he looked to the reward. He weighed the value of Egypt's vast money on the scale of eternity. It wasn't 
you know, the, the ancient uh, actuaries with those bead things, you know, da, 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 da. all right, if I make this investment or sacrifice this, then I'll gain this over here down the road. No, he said, if I give up this, I gain that over there in eternity. We ought to choose our treasures based on this value scale. And if you're wondering how valuable something is, ask yourself, how will I use this for heaven? How will I use this for the cause of Christ? This kind of clarifies things rather quickly, I think. From Moses' countercultural choices, which were just as misunderstood then as these choices would be today for us, from Moses' choices, we now understand what a treasure is. We've been talking all year, treasure Christ, treasure Christ. I've been saying it over and over and over again. You're probably sick of hearing it at this point. What is, it, what is a treasure? A treasure is what you live for, what you would suffer for, what you sacrifice for, and what you would die for. That's a treasure. There are people who went and sought Forest Fen's treasure and died. There are people who live every day for that promotion and they sacrifice for it. Your treasure is what you consider most valuable, most worthy of your heart, most deserving of your commitments and sacrifices. And millions of people are treasuring their privileges and their status, their followers and their influence, their pleasures and their comfort, their money and their stuff. They live for these things and spend their lives in pursuit of them. They suffer for these things. They put in long hours. They sacrifice their health and their family and loads of time to achieve it. They treasure the American dream only to find out at the end of life, it was wind. Vanity of vanities. It wasn't worth it. Is this you? I plead with you. Count Jesus to be more valuable than anything the American dream can offer. If, if your heart is tempted by these things, that just means you're human. And so surrender that to the Lord. Identify, Lord, this is the way that my heart bends. My heart loves this particular aspect of the American dream. I, I, I'm really struggling with this. Repent of that idolatry. Confess it to the Lord. The American dream promises a little privilege, some pleasure, and a measure of wealth in this life. Jesus promises eternal life, joy unspeakable, and a glorious inheritance with him in heaven. Which is more valuable? Which ought to be the treasure of your life? And how sad, how, how tragic even would it be to spend an entire year listening to, to the need to treasure Christ, to sit in, in a chair that, that the guy up at the platform says, treasure Jesus, treasure Jesus. How tragic would it be to spend an entire year thinking about this and never make a commitment to do it? To never say, from now on, I am gonna treasure Christ more and I won't do it perfectly. I need the grace of God, I need the Spirit's help. But from now on, once and for all, I'm choosing to treasure Christ. This is my direction. These are my affections. He's my treasure. Would you bow with me? And that's where I leave you. You need to wrestle with God right now. This is sort of like a climactic appeal 
And I'll give you a moment to do business with the Lord, to surrender this, and then commit. Would you all stand? Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus, who is more valuable than anything we could ask for. We don't deserve him, and yet you've given him to us freely without cost to us at great cost to him. May we walk the rest of this life treasuring Jesus above everything we've ever done or said. In his name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to audio from Red Rocks Baptist Church. If you enjoyed this content, please consider sharing it with others. Our mission at Red Rocks Baptist Church is to know Christ and to make him known. May God bless you as you follow him.